Well, it is great to see so many of you here on our campus. Let me welcome everybody joining us online as well. And as Abby said, uh, we're in week three of this Bold Prayers teaching series. So if you're just jumping in today, if you're new, welcome, we're honored you're here. We're taking a look at some bold prayers that were prayed by some very specific people facing some very specific circumstances in the Old Testament. And then we're seeing what those prayers have to say to us and in many ways, how they challenge us to pray the same way today. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna take a look at the bold prayer of Joshua. So if you like to take notes, let me ask you to grab something, maybe to jot it down. Maybe you're at home, you can find something. Um, If you like to take notes uh, through your phone, you can certainly do that as well. And uh, we're gonna look at a bold prayer of Joshua. But before we do that, let me spend a little bit of time uh, telling you a little bit about Joshua. You might be new to the Bible, so just a little background, just some things you might wanna know about him before we jump in and study this bold prayer. Joshua was born into slavery. So if you've heard the story of the children of Israel, the uh, the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt before Moses led them out, this was Joshua. He would have grown up in that set of circumstances. Therefore, being one of the Israelites that was led out of Egypt by Moses. By the age of 40, we see in scripture that he had demonstrated some leadership ability, kind of some cool stories to go along with that. And then around the age of 80, it was Joshua, not Moses, that led the Israelites into the promised land. So we just sang a little while ago in that really awesome, fun song called Praise about how our shouts bring down the walls of Jericho. So this is that same Joshua, that he was faithful to lead, lead the children of Israel to march around Jericho, and they cried out to God after seven days. God brought the walls down. So this is kind of how they eventually get into the promised land. And then finally, Joshua dies at the age of 110. And if you like reading stories in God's word that have a lot of adventure, let me point you to Joshua, all right? There's a lot happening in the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorites. And if you've ever thought that the Bible is boring, see Joshua, all right? That, that'll totally help you see God's word is not boring. And there's a number of different places we could have gone talking about the bold prayers that Joshua prayed because in his life, He did pray some bold prayers. But the one I wanna talk about today is found in Joshua chapter 10. And what we're gonna see, it's a long passage. I'm gonna read it for you here in just a second. You're gonna have to hang with me, pay attention. All right, long passage we're gonna read through together is what you're gonna see in this passage is that Joshua literally prays a prayer where he asks God to make the sun stand still. Now, God answers that prayer. And what's amazing for us is there's some lessons that we can glean from this entire encounter that had never happened since, had never happened before, rather, and it's never happened since. So hang with me, Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse seven. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And after an all-night march from Gilgal, that's important, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw the enemy into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated the enemy completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them all along the road, going up to Beit Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah to Makkadah. as they fled before Israel on the road from Beit Haran to Azekah, look at this, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Yes, God did that. That's awesome, all right? God did that, verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, and here's the prayer, son, stand still over Gibeon. 
and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As is written in the book of Jashar, there were other books that recorded this event. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. It's an amazing story. It's an incredible story. And here's kind of the, the big idea that I want you to see from this bold prayer. You see, Joshua's bold prayer asked God for the impossible. That's what he did. He literally asked God to do the impossible. He asked God to make the sun stand still and God acted on his behalf. Now, here we are all these years later and, and we see from this account that there had never been a day like it. There's not going to be a day like that ever again. And so it kind of begs the question then, well, how does this matter? I mean, what does this have to do with anything facing our lives? But in a moment of honesty, all of us could admit that there's something going on in our life right now, here's the key, it feels impossible. It feels impossible. It may be something everybody knows about. Maybe you've shared it, you've asked others to pray. It may be something no one knows about. It might be something that is a very big deal by the way that we would define big deals. It might be something that the way we define big deals, it's not really in that category, so it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but you know deep down inside, it's a big deal. And whatever it is that you're facing that feels impossible today, I want you to keep that in mind. It might be your marriage. You may have given up on the idea that you could have a happy marriage. You don't wanna get a divorce. You've just given up on the idea that your marriage could ever be life-giving. Maybe you're single, and, and there's nothing wrong with being single, and, and you know that, but deep down inside, you're hoping and you're yearning for more. And you really want to be married, but you're not sure if you can say that out loud. And that just feels impossible. And you're not sure what to do with that. Maybe you're facing an addiction and you have tried and you have tried and you've tried to shake it and you can't shake it. Maybe you're facing a health challenge that seems impossible. The diagnosis is not good. Maybe you're on the verge of bankruptcy and your finances seem impossible. And what I want you to see is that Joshua had the boldness, dare I say the audacity, to ask God to do the impossible. To ask God to do the impossible. See, Joshua asked God to make the sun stand still, and you live in a world where God raised his son from the dead. And because God raised his son from the dead, there is nothing that is impossible. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, impossible walked out with him. Do y'all hear what I'm saying, church? Okay. There's nothing that's impossible with God. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at five principles from this story because this story is loaded with some principles. And those principles... When we put them into practice, we begin to pray bold prayers to God, asking him to do the impossible. All right, so let's roll through this. I'm gonna point out some things. We're gonna get into some other parts of scripture. I think you're gonna be challenged by it. And ultimately, I think you're gonna be encouraged to pray some bold prayers. So here's the first principle we see from this story. Opposition can be why we cower in fear or an opportunity to call on God in prayer. It's an either or. Right? I need you to look at this. Opposition, you can cower in fear, 
It could be an opportunity to call on God in prayer. My favorite part of this story is that Joshua prayed this prayer while fighting a battle. Like he wasn't having a quiet time. Now there's nothing wrong with having a quiet time, okay? But he was not on his knees in his living room and asking God to make the sun stand still. Do y'all see what I'm saying? He was swinging a sword, Braveheart style. You've seen Braveheart. Don't act like you haven't seen Braveheart. You're in church, you can't lie in church. You have seen Braveheart, all right? He is swinging a sword, Braveheart style, blood flying everywhere. They've been marching all night long. They are exhausted. And it's in the middle of this fight, the fight of his life, the middle of very real opposition that Joshua actually sees an opportunity to call on God. Incredible. We're all gonna face opposition. If no one's told you this lately, you're going to face opposition this week. You have choices. When you face opposition, you can cower in fear. You can feel sorry for yourself. You ever thrown a pity party? Nobody shows up. They don't. <laughs> Ain't nobody interested in that. Feel sorry for yourself, cower in fear, whine, complain, blame somebody else, or see it as an opportunity. Now, we're not fighting with swords on battlefields. If you are, talk to me after the service in the lobby. I want some stories, all right? But most of us, that's not our life. Thankfully, the New Testament is very clear for us about the battles that we do fight. Look at what Ephesians 6, 12 says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our immediate struggle is not the same as Joshua's out on a battlefield fighting flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Spiritual warfare is real. It's real. It's very real. The enemy is after you. Spiritual oppression's a real thing. The enemy is after your kids. He's after your Grandkids. I remember years ago in college, I was walking through a difficult challenge. I wasn't sure what to do. I called my youth pastor. We had a great conversation on the phone and he ended the conversation with some words that have never left me. He said, Adam, you've had a lot of people who've believed in you over the years and have said encouraging things to you. And I said, yeah, and I'm grateful for that. I know that's not everybody's story. He said, you've probably been told a few times that God has a plan for your life. Is that true? I said, yeah, it is true. He said, well, I need to tell you something that's also true. Satan also has a plan for your life. And he's gonna do anything he can to derail you and get you to follow his plan. See, we are in a battle. And when you face opposition, see that as a good thing. See that as an opportunity. See it as an opportunity to call on God, to act on your behalf, pray a bold prayer. Let me give you the second principle that we see from this account. What we ask of God through prayer will be directly related to how big we believe God is. <clears throat> I love this about Joshua. Joshua, again, in case you missed it the first time, he is swinging a sword, all right? He is fighting a battle, and it's in the middle of this battle that Joshua reasons out a few things. And what he reasons out is things are going well, we've kinda got the enemy on the retreat, but we're not gonna be able to finish them off. And so if I call off the troops and we spend the night and we come back here in the morning, we may not have the same momentum. If only I had a little more daylight, we could finish them off. Now for Joshua, the conclusion was not a difficult one to reach. Because in Joshua's mind, if God created the sun, God could make the sun stand still. That's how big his God was. This was not a reach for Joshua to ask God to make the sun 
stand still. See, the truth of the matter today, church, let me encourage you for a second. God's bigger than anything you could ever imagine. (laughs) He's bigger than anything you could ever imagine. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present. Do you know what that means? The moment you say there's God, you're now wrong. You can't say there's God because God's over there too. He's everywhere. He's all-present, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. He's infinite, you're not. Now, here's the thing. All of those things can be true and not change anything about your life. See, mentally going, I can roll with that, changes nothing about your life. It's believing those things. It's believing those things. See, God is these things. God is all of those things. Do you believe it to be true? Because if you believe it to be true, not in the way that we define belief, I'm gonna preach here for a second, y'all better buckle up, okay? See, most of us, we're all too indoctrinated by the way the world has taught us to define words. So our world says believe means agree. It's like an old dude with a pipe going, yes, I agree. That is not what we're talking about, right? I got nothing against old dudes or pipes, but listen, that's not what I'm talking about. Believe is not just sitting there and nodding. That's what some of y'all are doing. I can see it on your face. Believe is when you put it into practice. It's when you call on God. And if you believe all of those things about God are true, who else are you gonna call on? That's a God that can do something about your situation. But to the degree that you believe God is big is to the degree that you will call on him and pray bold prayers to him. Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer, famous theologian. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think that's true. That's not in the Bible, but it probably should be. That's really good, okay? What comes to mind when you think of God? Is he big enough to do something about your circumstance? I asked you at the beginning of our time, what's impossible in your life right now? If you hold up what's impossible in your life to a small view of God, probably what you're facing will win. But if you've got a big view of God that drives you to him, to ask God to do something as crazy as making the sun stand still? See, this is what it looks like to see a big God. Let me give you a third principle, okay? This one's fun. It's difficult to ask big things of God if you don't believe he's for you. See, not only is our God big, he is actually for you. And for some of you, that's a hard thing to accept. Maybe you've been told that God's out to get you or God's upset with you or God's mad at you or you've disappointed God. Can I let you in on some good news? You ain't disappointed God. You've never let God down. You were never big enough to hold him up, okay? That's just not how it goes. God's so much bigger than you. He's greater than you could ever comprehend and he's actually good. He's good. You say, how do you know that? How do we know that God is good? How do we know that God is for us? That's a great question to consider. And it's one of the reasons God sent us his son Jesus into the world. See, Jesus ultimately came to die for our sin, to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Now you have to receive by faith what Jesus did for you. Nobody else can make that decision for you. You've got to come to a place in your life where you recognize your need for a savior. You call upon him to save you. And, and, and that is the greatest message that's ever been told. But don't miss how Jesus lived his life. 
See, the three years that Jesus was doing public ministry, what he was doing, he was showing us what God is like. If you've got kids or grandkids and they ever ask you, how do I know what God is like? Here's the answer, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Every time we see something about Jesus in God's word, we are seeing the heart of the Father. So when I tell you that God is for you, there's all kinds of things from Jesus's life that gives us insight into this. For example, there's a lot of really fancy names for Jesus in the New Testament. It's actually a really fun Bible study to do where you can learn. We did a teaching series earlier this year on the I am statements of Jesus, and there's lots of different names of Jesus that help us get to know Jesus. My favorite name of Jesus in the New Testament is friend of sinners, friend of sinners. And did you know that the people who gave him that name were not giving him that name as a compliment? (laughs) It was religious people. They were taking a shot at him. See, Jesus didn't fit their paradigm. He kept doing things like eating meals with sinners, hanging out with sinners, talking with sinners. And, And all of the religious people said, he's a friend of sinners. And they said that to him as an accusation. And it shows just how off they were. And it shows just how much they didn't understand the heart of God. Because see, the appropriate term for Jesus should not be friend of sinners. It should just be friend. Because sinners is the only thing he's ever had to work with. That's it. So if you're a sinner, that means you're actually human. It means you're normal. You can't out God. You can't outrun God. Jesus wants to be your friend. God proved to you that he was for you because not only did he send his son who was a friend of sinners, his son died for you on the cross. That's why I can tell you that God is for you. He's for you. He's a friend of sinners. Look at what God's word says. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some of you came to church today just to hear this. God's for you. He's for you. Whatever you're facing right now, God is for you. You and God are always in the majority. He's for you. Are you tracking with me this morning? See, our God is big and our God is good. So if our God is big and if our God is good, then why doesn't God just answer every prayer that we pray? Why doesn't God always make the sun stand still? Why doesn't God always act on our behalf. Let me take you back to October 1st of 2008. It will officially be 15 years ago next Sunday. I can't believe it's already been 15 years ago. So October 1st, 2008, the day before, which would have been September 30th, my mom gave me a phone call and I knew my dad's health had not been going well. I kind of been keeping up. My wife and I were living in New York at the time. They were living in Atlanta. And my mom called me and she said, the doctors think they figured out what's wrong with your dad. They need to remove his spleen. So he's gonna have surgery tomorrow and they're gonna remove his spleen. And we just wanted to give you a heads up because you get frustrated with us when we don't tell you what's going on in our life. And I said, thank you, mother. That is correct, all right? So I said, thank you. I'll be praying for 
for dad. And I hung up the phone and I realized the next day was a Thursday and we didn't have a whole lot going on at the office that day. So church I worked at, I called the pastor I worked for and I just said, hey, my dad's going in for surgery tomorrow. I think it'd be really cool if when he came out of surgery, if I was there and could kind of hang out with him that afternoon and we don't have a whole lot going on. So would you be cool if I just flew down tomorrow morning, kind of spent the day, spent the night at my parents' house, fly back Friday? He's like, absolutely, that sounds great. So the next morning, that's why I booked a flight. I didn't tell my parents I was gonna do this. I thought it'd be kind of a fun little surprise. And so I'm going to the airport and I'm getting ready to fly down. My dad's getting his plane taken out and I'm sitting at the airport in New York and my brother-in-law calls me and he says, hey, are you on your way to the hospital? And I said, well, yeah, but I'm sitting in the airport in New York and I haven't even told anybody. And he cuts me off. He goes, no, 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 no. Like, are you on your way to, to the hospital right now to see your dad? And, and, and I kind of could hear the urgency in his voice. And I was like, I don't think we're having the same conversation. Like, what's, what's going on? And he said, man, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I just got a phone call from someone at the hospital, a, a relative, you know, a friend of the family. It was a friend of the family. He said, I got a phone call from them. They said, get to the hospital as soon as you can. Uh, and he said, your dad, his father-in-law, he said, your dad, Adam, he's not gonna make it through this surgery. He said, I'm on my way to the hospital right now and um, we need you to get here as quickly as you can. And like, the, then they called for us to get on the plane. So this is like 2008, where we all don't have smartphones that you can just use at all times. And so the, re- the whole flight, I have no idea what's going on. I get to Atlanta, I get in a rental car, I drive up about 45 minutes to the hospital. I still don't know what's going on. And um, I, I walk out of the elevator. I'll never forget it. I walk out of the elevator. And as soon as the doors open, there's like 50 people in this little waiting area. And it's like, 50 people from my childhood and my teenage years. Like every family friend that we'd ever had is like sitting there in this room and they're all weeping and they're all praying. And as soon as I walk out of the elevator, this doctor walks by and he stops and he backs up to the elevator and he looks at me and he goes, are you the son that just flew in from New York? And I said, yes. And he says, I need you to stay by your mom all night. Your dad will not make it through the night. And he walks through the double doors. I still think my dad's getting a spleen taken out. I have no idea what's going on. So I just walk in the room and immediately I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. And, and my youth pastor, same youth pastor I mentioned earlier, he pulls me aside and he starts explaining everything to me. And he says, Adam, what happened is when they went in to operate on your dad, they didn't realize this, but there was an infectious a mass that had built up. And when they went in, it ruptured and it ruptured his esophagus, most of his large intestine, and it released sepsis into his entire body. And so he's not gonna make it. And so I immediately, church, just started thinking about what I was gonna say at my dad's funeral. That's all I started thinking about. Like I did not start praying a bold prayer. I mean, everybody told me this is going to happen And so I knew like, this is what I'm gonna be doing. Like this is the next 48 hours of my life. And so I just started mentally thinking through and obviously I was there for my mom. My brother hadn't been able to fly in yet. My sister had just had a baby. So I was the only one that was there and I'm just kind of there with my mom and all these people. And about four o'clock in the morning, like it hit me, God could heal my dad. I might as well ask him. And I prayed a really bold prayer and just said, hey God, like I've, I've heard the news, but if you wanna heal my dad, I know you can heal my dad. What I want you to hear me say in church is I didn't pray this bold prayer with like an immense amount of faith. It wasn't like this bold declaration. In many ways, it was like an afterthought. But on some level, it was a hard acknowledgement that God, you could still do anything you wanted to. And I know that. 
And, and so what happened is um, he made it through the night and then for the next three days, they gave us six hour updates. Like if he makes it the next six hours, here's what we'll do. If he makes it the next six hours. And so that went for three days and then it turned into four days and before long, a week had passed and then they were like, well, if he makes it another day and he ended up staying in the hospital for about three months and um, church, I'm here to tell you today, God healed my dad. He healed my dad. There's no human explanation for my dad being alive than than God healing him. Um, But we need to right-size that for a second because a bunch of y'all could come up here and share stories where you prayed prayers with a lot more faith than I prayed and God didn't heal him. So what are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with a God who is big enough and good enough, but sometimes the sun sets? Sometimes he doesn't act. What are we supposed to do with that? So let's, let's talk about this for a second, okay? So when God healed my dad, his family, my mom, me, my brother, my sister, like we were the ones who won in that situation, okay? So all of our children have been born since 2008. So if God had not healed my dad that day, none of my boys would have ever gotten to know their grandfather. So from our perspective, we win because God heals my dad. But from my dad's perspective, he actually lost. See, it would have been better for my dad to get to go be with Jesus than to be stuck here on this earth. But we won, he lost. Because see, when you pray a prayer for healing, and I need you to take this message to heart, God always answers that prayer. Sometimes he heals the person temporarily, like he did with my dad. And he lets them stay here for a little longer. Sometimes he heals them permanently. And he calls them home to be with him. And one day, when we're all with him, here's what we'll realize. They won. They got Jesus sooner. They got more of Jesus for longer. But we're stuck with this limited, earthly perspective. And so if you've prayed for God to heal someone, he healed them if he called them home. They're better than you. They're winning. You're still stuck here, which means God's not done with you, which means means he still has some things he wants to do through you. But don't ever hesitate to ask God to heal because who knows? He might act and he might heal and he might be up to something that we can't even see in the moment. Let me give you the fourth principle from the story. Pray prayers based on the promises God's already made. So a little verse kind of tucked away in this passage we read. I know it was kind of a long one, so it would have been easy to miss. It was towards the beginning. Is where God had actually already told Joshua, I've delivered them into your hands. God told Joshua before the battle started that they were going to win. Wouldn't that be great if God told you you were gonna win before you started to do something, okay? That happened for Joshua. So when Joshua prayed this bold prayer to ask God to make the sun stand still, he was actually praying in accordance with God's will. It's like, God, you've already told us that you've delivered us. God, you've already given us the victory. I just need you to hold the sun up for a few 
hours so that we can finish the drill, so we can finish this battle. But he was praying in accordance with God's will. He was praying on a promise that God had given him. So let's look at the New Testament and what are some guidance we get? We're gonna go to 1 John. We spent 10 weeks in 1 John. I just wanted to bring it back for a second, all right? So if you missed that series, it's on our website, it's on our YouTube channel. We went verse by verse for 10 weeks through the entire book of 1 John and this passage was at the end of it, but it gives great insight into prayer. Look at this, 1 John 15, 14, excuse me, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, key phrase, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So when you pray bold prayers, when you take the impossible before God, here's the challenging question I want you to consider. Are you asking within his will or within your will? If all of your prayers center around you and your benefit and and your comfort, and your pleasure, you may not necessarily be praying prayers according to God's will. Now, I'm not coming down on you. I do that. It's a check I have to give myself. Hey, how many of these prayers you just prayed had you at the center of them? It's a really good question to ask. And sometimes, like we saw last week, we can be at some of the center of the prayers we pray when we ask God to bless us. So, You've gotta have some discernment there. But when you're facing some circumstances and some challenges and some impossibilities, here's the key. Pray prayers based on the promises of God. Pray prayers according to God's will. And if you don't know what God's will is and you don't know what his promises are, get into his word. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to knowing the promises of God. You can come to church on Sundays. I'm glad you're here. You can join us online. I'm glad you're doing that. You can participate in a life group. That's a fantastic thing to do. Nothing replaces you in God's word. Every day. Just open up his word. Every day. You say, I don't even know where to start. Proverbs is fantastic. See, I don't even know where to start. Choose Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They're all awesome. I don't even know where to start. Philippians is a great book. All right, now you have no excuses. I just gave you six books of the Bible, okay? Get into his word. There are no shortcuts. And then pray prayers that align with the promises of God. Fifth principle. This one's gonna challenge you. Stop to pray and then keep moving while you pray. This is what we see from Joshua. So Joshua is fighting a battle. The sun needs to stop. And so Joshua stops. He asks God to make the sun stand still. And then he keeps fighting. There are times in our life, church, where the best thing we need to do is just stop and pray. In fact, most times, if you stop me after this service in the lobby and you say, hey, will you pray for, and whatever it is you ask me to pray for, I will, but nine times out of 10, I'm gonna say, hey, can we just stop and pray about that right now? Let's just go ahead and do that right now. We have a prayer team available at the end of every service because here's the thing, sometimes you just need to stop and pray right now. You don't even need to wait till you get to the lobby. You don't need to wait till you get to your car. You don't need to wait till you shut down the computer. You need to stop and pray right now. But sometimes after you stop and pray, you need to keep moving. You need to keep fighting the battle. You need to keep swinging the sword. I love the fact that Joshua didn't pray this bold prayer and go, hey guys, let's just let go and let God. I prayed this bold prayer. God's gonna stop the sun. We can just let go and let God. Y'all know that's not in the Bible too. I don't know if I told you, right? Good bumper sticker, just not in the Bible, all right? Not in there. I love the fact he didn't say that. 
I love the fact that he kept fighting. So what does that mean for us today? Look at what James says in James chapter two. Faith without works is dead. Your faith doesn't save you, but you are saved through good works. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor needs your good works. Our community needs our good works. We need believers who stop and pray and then they actually keep moving. They do something. They're not lazy. They don't disengage the battle. They don't just say, well, God's gonna take care of this. I guess I can just take a break. No, part of this life and fighting spiritual warfare and engaging a real enemy is you have to keep going. You have to keep moving. Y'all know our family history. Our family history, not like New Hope's family history, like our family history, like the church, Acts chapter two, Holy Spirit comes down. It tells the story of our family history, how we got started as a church, okay? The book of Acts is actually called Acts. And the reason why it's called Acts is because they were in action. They were moving. They were doing a lot of things. They were praying and they were moving. They were praying and they continued to go. There's all kinds of stories in Acts that do this. Acts chapter 12. So Peter, he's one of the disciples. He becomes a leader in the early church. He gets arrested. And, and, and the believers are pretty scared because James has just lost his life. And so they're kind of thinking this is about to happen to Peter. So Peter is in prison and Acts chapter 12 says the believers were praying for God to move and do something about this situation. They were praying bold prayers and God was faithful to answer their prayers. And it's an amazing story. What God does is he sends an angel and this angel shows up. And y'all know every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first thing they say is fear not, which means they look scary. That's what that means, okay? (laughs) They're not flying around with white wings. They look like somebody that could whip you. That's what they look like. And they're going, fear not, take a deep breath. It's there all over the Bible. So this angel shows up, and this angel's a dude because this angel throws open the the, the gate that locked everybody out because he's in prison. Takes care of that, knocks off the chains, and looks at Peter and says, get up and put on your, your shoes and your coat. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, you couldn't handle that? Really? You just knocked open a gate. You just knocked over these chains. You know, when you're making a prison escape, the key thing to remember is to be quick, to get out. I don't have time to put on my shoes and my coat. We gotta get out of here, angel. We are escaping prison. That's what we're doing. So why would an angel go, put on your coat, put on your shoes, let's go? Because Peter's perfectly capable of doing those two things. See, some of you are asking God to move on your behalf. You're just sleeping in every morning. See, some of you are hoping you can have a better marriage. You just won't go to marriage counseling. Some of you are praying for God to move in your career. You just haven't updated your resume or done anything about it. Some of you are students and you're really hoping you get into the school you wanna go to, you're just not studying. See, church, at some level, we gotta recognize if Peter's gotta put on his shoes and his coat, hey God, what are some things you're asking me to do? Faith without works is dead. So you pray, you ask God to do the impossible, but then get to work, get to work. Swing a sword, march all night, do what you gotta do. Calling on God to do the impossible does not allow us to just take a back seat. If the world is outworking us, what are we doing? Yeah. 
what are we doing? Mm -mm. We should be the most motivated, driven, people on this planet because our life doesn't belong to us. We've been given a mission. Every day is an opportunity to see that mission through. And if your life feels like it's out of alignment, if you feel like you've lost your purpose, if you're facing some some feelings of despondency and you're kind of wondering, might I suggest perhaps you're trying to live your life by your agenda instead of aligning your life with God's. And when you do, you can call on him to move on your behalf and then get going. And get going. Go with him. Let him use you. See, church, our God is a God who is faithful. All throughout his word. He was faithful to rescue Peter that night. And when Peter went and started knocking on the door, they wouldn't let him in. It's an amazing story. Until he finally told him, hey, God heard your prayers. He he moved on your behalf. Our God's faithful. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what's impossible in your life, but I wanna remind you, our God's big enough. Our God's good enough. And he's for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? So God, thank you for that. That you're big enough. That God, you're good that God, the opposition we face in our life in many ways is an opportunity for us to be reminded once again of those things. God, for some of us in this this quiet moment, we need to be reminded of your faithfulness. God, I'm grateful for your word for so many reasons, not the least of which is just story after story after story, how you keep coming through, how you're the hero of every story, that God, we just keep messing it up and God, you just won't let us get in the way of your great plan. Thank you. God, we declare you're a God who can do the impossible. You're a God who made the sun stand still. You're a God who raised your son from the grave. You're a God who still heals. You're a God who still makes a way. You're a God who still brings beauty from ashes. You're a God who still takes what the enemy intends for evil and uses it for good. And so God, we say, thank you. So God, in this time of response, would you speak to your children? Because some of them are hurting right now and they need to hear from their father. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.